Gold Cord by Amy Carmichael, Prologue to Chapter 14. O oh, Mary Love, strong, ravishing, burning, willful, stalwart, unslackened, that brings all my soul to thy service and suffers it to think of nothing but thee. Thou challengest for thyself all that we live, all that we savor, all that we are. Thus, therefore, let Christ be the beginning of our love, whom we love for himself. And so we love whatever is to be loved inordinately for him that is the well of love, and in whose hands we put all that we love and are loved by. O love undeparted, O love singular, we praise thee, we preach thee, by the which we overcome the world, by whom we joy and ascend the heavenly ladder. In thy sweetness glide into me, and I commend me and mine unto thee without end. Richard Rolla, 1290-1349, from The Fire of Love and the Mending of Life. Chapter 14, A Whiplash in a Bright Unearthly Joy. All through those years of beginnings, we had lived with a menace in our ears. It was like living within sound of the growls and rumblings of an approaching storm. At last, in 1910 and 1911, the storm broke upon us and we were plunged into a welter of troubles in the law courts. It was then that for the first time we understood the 77th Psalm with one exception, it seems to me, the most poignant in the whole Psalter. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said, this is my infirmity but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. But still, though we did remember, those awful questions pierced us. For the child for whom we had fought so hard was alone in her desolation, snatched from us by powers too strong for us, and she had clung to us with all her might. The thought of her was like the probing of a spear, and a cruel voice cried aloud in our ears, turning the spear point in the wound. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? It was then that a scale was given to us by which to measure all that could ever be again. Nevermore could ordinary trials and trifling rubs appear worth the energy of agitation that is so often spent on them. And we have never yielded to the temptation to make much of them without a feeling of shame. For that long series of lawsuits was a long single hunt. The hunters were very evil men. And the hunted was a child who had trusted us to save her. Her name was Jewel. And she was a young, pure-spirited girl to whom we had given a promise that no power on earth could make us break, that we would never give her up to her iniquitous mother. 
When we gave her that promise, we did not know how impossible from the human point of view it was going to be to keep it. After anxious months and a miracle of deliverance, Jewel had been given to us in open court. Her mother and her responsible relatives had signed a yadast, a document handing her over to us. But they went back on their word and filed a suit against us, accusing us of breaking the child's caste, which, according to the terms of the yadast, we were bound to keep inviolate. The judge at that time was Sir Charles Spencer, afterwards of the High Court Madras. When it was known that he would try the case, the false witnesses fled. Not for silver nor for gold would they face the keen eyes of that Sahib, they said. The case was dismissed, and with thanksgiving, we brought our jewel home. But the relatives bided their time. They waited till a new judge came, then they moved again on a new charge. The matter created a stir all over South India. Missionaries of every name and government officials who knew about the notorious mother openly stood by us and all the better Hindus and Muslims of the countryside for once united were with us in sympathy. We had what everyone thought was a good case, but to the general astonishment, the court ordered us to return Jewel to her mother. The courts of heaven intervened then. While we were away fighting for her, a courageous friend, a guest who was staying in Donapur, helped the child, disguised as a Muhammad boy, to escape, and she was passed from hand to hand till Handley Bird, the great heart of South India, risked everything and carried her off to China, where she was sheltered for six years. Of this we knew nothing for a long time, for our friends who acted for us carefully kept the knowledge from us. An anonymous postcard, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him, greatly comforted us. But many felt that should Jewel be found and brought back, the only way to save her would be to broadcast her story. So we wrote it and held it ready. A page from it now, for we had not to use it, may show the supreme hour of that long fight, the hour of utmost defeat, when for the first time we tasted public shame and scorn and knew how little we had drunk as yet of the cup of our Savior's agony for souls. But that hour of humiliation in the sight of men was the hour that shone as no other hour in our lives had ever shone. And it shines in our memory still like a great star in a moonless night. This is the page from that book. The hours between sunset and midnight of that last night, the night before we went to court for the last time, were sacred to Jewel. As we lay close together on the cane cot on the veranda, we fell into silence. But our last talk was of John the Baptist, in a faith that nothing can offend. And before I left her, I took her hands in mine 
and looked down into her upturned face. Promise me, whatever happens, by his grace, you will never be offended in him. And she repeated, I promise by his grace, I will never be offended in him. For a moment, we stood so in the starlight, looking into each other's eyes. Then we looked up together to him, our beloved. Lord, dear Lord, whatever happens, by thy grace, we will never be offended in thee. Then we parted. The child stayed in Donapur, and we started for our night's journey by bullock cart. And on the way, the open oval of the cart framed the Southern Cross. Next morning at 11 o'clock, the court opened. For 10 minutes or so, we stood straining our eyes to catch the words of the judgment read by the judge. But he read inaudibly, and our pleader told us that we must ask to be allowed to read it ourselves, which we did. It was handed down to us, and we went to the court library where the clerk read it to us. We were as though smitten in the place of dragons. But we were not forsaken. We were sitting round the table. The clerk was floundering slowly through the bulky manuscript, some 30 or 40 pages of fool's cap, glancing at us every now and then to see how we bore it, his drone occasionally jumping into a metallic staccato as an encouraging grunt from the mother's pleader roused him. When suddenly I saw through the open door a paradise flycatcher, a dear bird that had cheered us before. It alighted on a branch of the mango tree near the door and looked in as if giving a message to someone. And then it flew in among the dark green shadows, its long white tail feathers streaming like little pennons of victory. The heavy, hot hour wore on. We had reached the last long minute of it when a word stung like a whiplash. The clerk was wide awake now. The cruel face across the table tightened up. The mother's pleader shot forth his hand and snatched the paper from the clerk. Costs. Has she to pay them for the whole suit? He had never dreamed of that. Then suddenly, all unbidden, unprayed for, came a strange, triumphant joy, utterly unknown before. We might have been the victors. It was such a victorious joy. It welled up like the springing of a fountain. It was so new, so pure, that I did not recognize it for my own. Was it the sudden shining of his face? Was it the joy of those who departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name? Was it that sacred joy? I do not know. But I do know that all went before and all that had to follow when the time came for paying the price in hours emptied of all conscious illumination was as nothing in comparison with one moment of that joy. End of chapter 14.